Welcome to the Jim Ziegler Podcast. Tune in for record-setting sales, management, and marketing training for automotive professionals. Here's your host, the Alpha Dog, Jim Ziegler. Hi, Jim Ziegler, the Alpha Dog, and this is the Dog Pound. We're too short today. Um, April's a digital dealer uh, for conducting seminars, and Jennifer's a little under the weather, but we, we got we got the the important members of the staff on today. The subject, F and I, twenty twenty three. I just read in Automotive Snooze that F and I, the big public companies, are posting twenty four hundred dollars average per retail unit. Now, let's let's backtrack a little bit. I set the world record in nineteen eighty five at $2,287 a retail unit. I did that one time. And now today, however many years later, $2,400 a unit is the average for the big public companies. So we're going to talk about F&I today. Um, we have an author in the, in the, in the mix today. Um, Max Zanon has just published a new book, and we're going to talk about that. Starting with the queen of BDC, <laughs> Bobby Heron. Hi, kid. Hi, you. Nice to see everybody today. Oh, it's li li good to be seen. <laughs> oh, golly. You got, you got Jason with his orange tie. Looks like somebody else in the business there. <laughs> much, much, much better. Bigger upgrade. Way more awesome. Way better. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Obviously. They don't have a criminal background. But, right. <laughs> uh, Jason, what, what title did I give you today? We're working the, on it. The, the, bar the Baron of, of what? I don't know. Logical You're a baron? processes or something like that. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to refine your, your title. <laughs> and, uh, the Archduke of Wokeness. The, the Archduke. Oh, I like it. I like the Duke it. Of what? Of Wokeness. Oh, just can't help it. We're just going to start it out like that, aren't we? I don't think Jason's exactly the Duke of Wokeness. <laughs> he does drive an electric vehicle, Jason. Right. I got your back. Yeah. I got your back, Jason. There, Jim. Hey, we're rebels. I'm proud to be. I'm proud to be an author of Wokeness. Oh, quit it, quit it, quit it, quit it. You know I am. And <laughs> and, and, the, and the Russians fabricated. Hunter Biden's laptop too. Okay. <laughs> well, we can go there, but we're not gonna. And <laughs> the there's enough going on in the world. Who cares about a laptop? Reins, the king of reinsurance, uh, the king of F and I, uh, Max Zanin. Right. Mad Russian. Hi, guy. Hey, Jim. Listen, you got a it's, new book uh, out. Tell us about your book. Well, fifth it's book. not out yet. It's being edited. It'll be out soon. This is my fifth book, and it is dedicated to F&I. Unlike previous books, they were dedicated to general management, which includes F&I. This is strictly F&I, management products, different types of reinsurance. And uh, the reason I wrote it is because you, you wouldn't believe how many car dealers out there do not understand reinsurance. They know the term, 
-hmm. but they have no clue what it entails. They have no idea how much money they're paying, how much money they're leaving on the table. And uh, a lot of times they've been robbed blind, mm -hmm. you know, by um, third party administrators, by, by general agents that just do incredible things, you know, so so hopefully, you know, they'll read the book and at the very minimum, they will save money uh, by speaking to the people that they do business with and, and renegotiating their current deals. Yeah. I'm now look I'm at you doing a service, doing a service to the industry. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I will. an article today for Digital Dealer Magazine called What's Wrong With You? And it's talking <laughs> so about underperforming dealerships. <laughs> why they're underperforming and, and why they stay that way and what they could do to change that. You know, yeah. so many dealerships are underperforming because they won't get out of their own way. Now, today, right. we're, uh, Jason, today we're talking about F&I. Yep, let's do it. $2,400 a unit has gotten to be the norm for the big publics and uh, quite a few we're other successful dealerships. Uh, Reminds me of the episode. It reminds me of that scene from Spider-Man. What is it? Is it with, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I've never seen that, but I do know that saying. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I, I've seen this. I've just, I've been working with a few dealerships recently. And I've been auditing, you know, some of their work and trying to find, you know, opportunities, you know, where we could have done better with the customer and stuff like that. And, there's a lot of uh, just because we can doesn't mean we should going on yeah. out there right now. And, you know, when I hear, you know, numbers like this, that's where my head kind of goes. It's like just because we can doesn't mean we should. <laughs> um, yeah. You like I say, I did. I did one time. Twenty two hundred and eighty seven dollars a retail unit, and that rocked the industry. I mean, that was 1985 and that was that was unheard of because the average around town was about six hundred dollars a retail unit. And and I managed to hit a big number, but I didn't do it consistently month after month. I did it once. And that that was big news. I mean, today, Max, what's your thoughts? Listen, Jim, you know, you have to adjust for inflation. Yeah. You have to take into consideration inventory shortage that mm -hmm. basically allowed dealers to mark up the cars and therefore finance department can, could make more money in finance reserve. Forget about selling products. Oh yeah. Well, I did, I did that on, on $20,000 and less cars that, you know, that, that right. was at a Cadillac dealership. Right. So, so right now I think the new, vehicle transaction is about fifty thousand dollars on average right so i was probably so, averaging fifteen thousand dollars carry back right so the finance reserve is much greater plus you know when dealers had the upper hand and they said hey you know i have the car and uh, i'm not giving you the keys unless you sign here here and here <laughs> That wasn't the way I did that now, Max. <laughs> but, that's the way was, but, but Jim, that's the way it was done the last two and a half years. Bobby, what's your thoughts? I mean, I think that we also have to take into account that like I come from a high lease penetration market and I was a finance uh, manager and a finance director for many, many years with Sonic Automotive. 
And in our market in Michigan, we were 65 plus lease penetration. And I've seen that in our market over the last two years, that's dropped significantly with the inventory shortages. And I hate to say it, but it makes a difference when it comes to finance penetration into the numbers that we're putting up. I mean, you have a more restrictive amount of warranties that can be offered or service contracts, as we should say, that can be offered. And there's a lot of differences that are happening happening there. I mean, I will say that just like everybody else that's on our show, I truly believe that any one of us on our show without trying to pitch you anything will help you. And I know Max has helped clients of mine in conversations, not to switch them to other things, but to give them the real deal and to really stand up here and say, hey, I'm a straight shooter and this is what it is. So it's interesting to me that I would really like to see what is the what's the cancel rate on the products that have been sold and what's the reserve penetration that's lost year over year. When we look at that number now, what does that actually look like next year at this time? Well, it depends on the value that was sold in the beginning. You know, exactly. And I, I teach in FNI school. And, and, and by the way, I'm I'm back in business. I'm going to do another FNI school here very soon in Atlanta market. <laughs> I've already I've already beat Miss Debbie down. To I was about to say something, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to reserve that for a table talk for later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Miss Miss Deb Miss Debbie has agreed that I can do one in Atlanta, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm looking at hotels right now, and I'm getting I'm, I'm surveying dealers. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've got the best F and I school in the known universe. Um, I'm I'm the king of that realm, and anybody that wants to really boost your F and I numbers in an ethical way. Uh, be watching uh, this space right here. I'll be advertising. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 a graduate, and I can confirm. I am as well. Yeah. Got two graduates in the room, soon to be three. Yeah. And I, I can say, probably much like Max, that I was a graduate long before we were friends. When oh, I yeah. came into I came into F and I in Sonic Automotive, it was one of the first management positions that I held, uh, and I was hired very very young in. They sent me to an etiquette school to learn how to act older than I was to be able to close things in a different way. I was held to a different account, but I, I worked for a company that said, you'll run $1,500 a copy in your lease penetration market, regardless of uh, your reasons, and you'll do it or you won't have a job here. And that was a company that said, your markup in a warranty is allowed to be this much per warranty, and it must be consistent. Your markup in LoJack is this much, and it must be consistent. Uh, and one of the things I see that a lot of people don't learn now that I hope they get through these schools, like, and I know that you teach this, I know that Max talks about it is I can't tell you the amount of finance managers that I walk into and go, Hey, I have a deal in my hand. That's 125% plus, plus, plus. I got a 517 on trans, but a 680 on Experian. Who pulls that? If you request it, who can't answer my question, who can just send it out for a shotgun. And to me, those aren't finance managers. Those are people who are signing paper and they're salespeople. Finance managers know how to read credit. And they know how to offer a product that will actually be beneficial to a customer. And not just because they believe in it, but because they know that you present 100% of the product, 100% of the time on a menu, 100% of the opportunities that you're given to do so. 100% of the product, 100% of the time, you give the customer <laughs> yep. the right to refuse. And um, one thing- Well, that's the way it's supposed thing. to be, right? What right. is that? That's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I was- <laughs> You know, I mean, look, I, I think you, you hear these big numbers, you know, and, and to Max points and Bobby's points, you know, there, there are probably some legitimate reasons that they are, you know, that high, you know, uh, mm -hmm. reserves are bigger right now. Um, I'll tell you, I, I don't know anybody that's not buying gap insurance. I would never <laughs> buy a car without gap insurance. I'll tell you that. There's Definitely no right now, would it? You're buying it no $10,000 over MSRP, sir. You yeah. need this. <laughs> 
No way. <laughs> hey, Bobby, you're getting accolades from the sidelines here. Look, I'm not known I'm as an FNI trainer. How much did you pay for that comment? <laughs> I don't even know who made it because it doesn't tell me, but I can tell you this. I was a finance manager very successfully for a long time. I was only successful account. in it because I listened just like I still do. And I learned in the people I was around, but the reason I don't train on finance and I don't teach on finance is it because I'm not up to date and I can't, it's not, it's not what I'm enjoying doing right now. And it's not my specialty, but it is true that these are facts. I, I, I'm trying to only spit things that I really understand and know. And that is that finance is an easy way to upsell money, but it's not an easy way to retain it. The cancelables in finance and the amount of chargebacks that you end up with are huge. And I'm interested to see what that number looks like going forward for people who did buy Gap or didn't buy Gap or who bought a service contract for three grand over and it's canceled or who hit up $700 in reserve. Because while we were at an inventory shortage. You know, Bobby, 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 I got to say, I uh, tell a service contract, for instance, mm -hmm. jewelry, jewelry and, and real estate. Uh, you look at uh, furniture. Jewelry and furniture are marked up 300%. Three to five, yeah. I'm wearing a $40,000 watch. I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. I've got a, another <laughs> watch. I got another watch that was $78,000. My Rolex presidential with all the diamonds on it. I, I defy you to go online and find the invoice of that watch. You can't. Uh, Rolex would, would take away the franchise if they publish that. Franchise. They will assassinate you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so think about this. I mean, we got the only industry in the world where all of our vendors and all of our manufacturers publish our, our raw cost, all of our incentives, all of our secret trunk money. Everything is out there for everybody to, to see. They beat down your profits. And like I say, furniture and jewelry are marked up three, four hundred percent. But sixty minutes never went into a jewelry store and exposed them. Right. It was always a car dealer. Right. Every <laughs> every mattresses? time. Mattresses at eight hundred percent. How about real estate commissions? How about that? I'm so sick of hearing people say, "I went into the dealership and they held a gun to my head." No, sir, we did not. You didn't do your research. And then when you came in, you made a decision, and then you want to blame somebody later. But real estate agents are banking on what they sell houses for and nobody's out there like i hate my real estate agent i'll never buy from them again are you kidding me well, i have I'll a soft spot in my heart for finance managers i don't believe mm -hmm. you I should be a general manager of a dealership unless you have been a successful finance manager jason no no i 100 agree i mean i think I, and i've actually talked to several people that want to go down the path to become an AGM and it's one of the first positions I think they need they need to be in uh, because they need to understand you know from the actual customer experience you know it's like this is this is that pivotal moment that you make it or you break it you know like everything up to this point could be wonderful and this could be the point that either continues that wonderful experience or just right. destroys that experience and I think every dealer principal needs to really kind of understand you know what people are going through when they're in that spot, you know, and how they can improve that experience. I think it's huge. Yeah. Isn't it all the positions though? Like I can't tell you how many sales managers yeah. I know who are also finance managers without the title, they submit, they structure the deal and they finalize things. Is that a detriment to their finance people? Sometimes, sometimes that's not okay, but it does. It, we know it's not, but it does happen. You need all those positions before you're a GM. You need I, to have a sales a manager, a finance manager and a marketing manager. 
I've got a, a big problem with sales managers picking up a phone and calling the bank and hammering the bank with no logical reason why the deal should be approved. I mean, no, except we sent you a lot of deals last month. That's their entire argument. No, we also floor plan with you. Or floor plan with you. I mean, and sometimes it's because the sales manager shouldn't be, but sometimes it's because like even our commenter over here, and I apologize because I, we can't, I can't see who the commenter is. You're probably in one of our private groups, but some stores enforce that the sales manager do it and or don't train the finance manager on how and they don't have a choice more often than not. And I'm not speaking to the person on the side. I want to be real clear about that. More often than not, a sales manager who doesn't know how to negotiate and doesn't have the reputation or the relationship with the bank is sending things in because that's just how they've always done it, which typically lends to a lower per copy rate, a higher rate of reserve and some bull crap happening. <laughs> Let's put it also, out there like I think, that. I think it comes down to, to the general management, right? So for example, when I was a general manager, right? In my store, a finance director sat at the podium mm -hmm. lateral to the sales manager right that's right mine too that's right and the reason he was at the podium is because sales managers weren't allowed to submit deals right so he would submit the deal from the podium and put the customer in the right car at the right time you know and, and if you guys don't do that now or you haven't done it before you're not planning to do it in the future you're going to miserably fail that's the only formula that works. There's no plan B here. Yeah. It's interesting because we do say a lot, I wouldn't let somebody be a GM unless, and it's so different than it was before because you need to understand how to how finance works and how to submit a deal in the structure because you're going to lead a team of people who this conversation is going to come up with and you're going to need to know how to do that. You're going to need to have been a sales manager so that you understand how to build, recruit, retain, and lead a team of people, which is part of your role. You're going to need to have been a marketing director and or a BDC director. That's not a popular thing for me to say, but it's true to understand how conversion from lead to true opportunity works and not have your spend wasted. Being a general manager is no longer a popularity contest on the golf course, people. It is truly leading an entire team and building a structure of high performance culture that allows for all departments to be successful. That's the job. That's why I have a job because that's what I teach people how to do. And to be truthful, I shouldn't be able, I mean, are you kidding me? That should not be a consulting position out there if you guys were all recruiting and retaining and rehiring the correct way. I'm grateful for it, but it is the truth. And I've sat in all those positions. So I say that with the utmost authority on failure and success and being through it. Max, what products are being sold in the finance office these days? So I think the products are the same, but to address Bobby's point, now, there are some new products. Uh, there, there are, for example, catalytic converter edge, right? Because there is what? A, yeah, <laughs> yeah they get stolen a lot. Catalytic converter yeah. edge. Correct. Believe Believe or not, there, there's like an epidemic of catalytic converter theft throughout yeah, the country there is. because there are precious metals in catalytic converters. So. It takes like five minutes to steal a catalytic converter. So now we have an answer. We have some kind of an etching that pays a benefit to the customer to at least be able to replace this catalytic converter. But the point that Bobby made before is very important. That it's not the effort. No, 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 no. You're agreeing with Bobby. Here. <laughs> I, I am. I am because it's hard it, not to sometimes. It's Just not the product. <laughs> It's the markup, right? So if you take 
if you take a vehicle service contract and you sell it for $7,000, I guarantee you it'll be canceled. Mm -hmm. But if you sell it for $2,500, $3,000, it'll probably stick. Same the goes. The most I've ever seen a service contract sold for was $32,000. Right, but it had to be. What was that covering? That's insane. Was it a Ferrari? Was it an EV? With it, was actually, it was actually in Texas. It was a dealer that I was consulting, and I was a little, <laughs> I didn't teach this, but uh, it was an H1 Hummer. And General Motors uh, had, was financing through GMAC, and GMAC had a policy that you could mark up a service contract three times its cost. So that the, finance manager had a strong relationship the with their bank rep. I'll tell you that right now. was over $10,000. And they it sounds like GMAC is out of business for a reason, right? Yeah. Well, then, anyway, they financed it, and it was the biggest F and I deal I'd ever seen. It was the biggest chargeback I'd ever seen. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, so that's exactly my point. You know, same goes for tired wheel, for gap, for key replacement, for paint and fabric. If you control the markup as the dealer mm -hmm. principal or the general manager, and this needs to be in writing, right? You can either say, "Hey, you're allowed to mark up the product five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, or fifty percent, or whatever it is." And I teach that, Max. Uh, did you learn that from me? Uh, yes. Yes, you did. As a matter of fact, I, I teach that in the school. You've got yeah. to have a stated price, a one price on all your finance products. You're just asking for a lawsuit if you don't have that too. No. You know, you, you just really are. Up a set amount or a set percentage. But Bobby, it's not, it's not even a lawsuit. You're asking for a cancellation because a lazy finance right. manager would rather pitch one product, mark it up all the way, and then it's going right. to get canceled. Look at Florida. So, Look at Florida. Florida, Florida calls a service contract an insurance product. And the dealer registers it with the state. And they must sell it for the same price to every customer. They can't mark it up. They can't discount it. And they sell the hell out of them because yeah. the, the consumer knows they got a fair price. Nobody was given a, another price. There's, there's, mm -hmm. What are the three elements of um, receptive trade practices? Discrimination, predatory, or prejudicial. Those are the three Things yeah. that go into a deceptive trade practice, and and that comes under predatory. Cancellations and lawsuits go hand in hand. Look, your pay plans are typically yes. a part of the problem. <clears throat> Every single time, any department. But since we're focusing on F and I, I'll I'll stay there. Walk into a twenty group or walk into a conversation and go, "Hey, what's your pay plan? Share it with me." It's not designed to motivate the specific employee. It's not designed to motivate for what you're trying to achieve in the store. And when you put something on a pay plan that you say you have to be over two grand, you have to be over this percentage, you have to be this, you are asking for those types of situations when chargebacks aren't included in pay plans, when there is not a structure there, and when there is not training. I can't even tell. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I have a lot of operations clients. We talk about me as BDC, but I'm going to say this just so that everybody knows I'm not just pulling this out of my, you know, whatever. I have a lot of operations clients. That's what I actually do. That means that the dealerships I work with, I touch all the departments. And I cannot tell you how many times I walk into a store and the finance person has never had a trainer, has never had a consultant, 
has attended one seminar, never been to a Jim's nope, liquor school, never been to anything, has not in the store. And and I have great clients who say to me, Bobby, who should I have train on? And you know, it's it's every single time like this finance manager has been there for five years. They've learned only what they've been taught in the store or from ground up on something else. And it is not fair to them or to the customer. And it's why five years from now or three years from now, when that customer buys another car, they either won't know how to ask the right questions or they will believe that what they did before wasn't right. We do this to ourselves. And it's a shame. What's your well, thoughts? I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's even more apparent right now uh, mm -hmm. because of the the just kind of the economics of what's going on right now you know sim similar similar to sales you know there mm -hmm. there hasn't been any training there hasn't been any coaching um i mean don't get me wrong there's some amazing sales you know finance managers out there but you know it, it's been easy to be a finance manager all right, right. Your, your subvented rate is six and a half percent your bank rate seven percent like mm -hmm. they did a whole a hell of a lot of work there you know um you know it, it's it's been very transactional. Yeah. I don't actually believe there's a whole lot of selling going on right now. So Jim, I think it's actually a great time for you to to do your class because I, I think the, the tide is shifting. I want to bring that. my FNI school yeah. back. I haven't done one since 2017. And I think it's time to do another FNI school. I, I'm the best. Well, you, I, I, so I read a stat recently. You know, the average FNI manager at a dealership right now has three years of experience. Really? Well, think of what the last three years has been. Yeah. They the got average I didn't know that. And it's been the last three years. We just came Jason, back to Kansas Jason, from Oz. Jason, you, you, you can't believe every stat that you read because this stat is complete BS. Right? <laughs> and, and, and I can tell you from just... I'll tell the employment company. <laughs> yeah, just straight up from anecdotal evidence. Every finance manager I work with has at least 10 years of experience. Oh, I think every dealership has one of those. In right. There. So the average but cannot the, be three the, the years. New, the, the, new, the new people are coming in. Man. Right. A lot, I, of, I a lot of new people, people in the coming in Because finance jobs are, are very cushy jobs. Right. This is not like we're looking for green peas to sell cars. But look, a lot of those guys, though, that were making, that have been in the business for 10 years, were making the two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Look, they got penciled over the last couple of years. Max, mm -hmm. I don't know. I know a lot of them got out of the business. Now, now look, yeah. I'm sure there are some that are still in the business, but there's a crap ton that I know left the business. And you can easily insert someone in their 20s. All right, that can fill out a piece of paperwork and follow a process, and that has been why did okay they leave the business? Year. What did they leave? Because the they got penciled, Max. What do you mean they, they got penciled? They, the, where the did they go? The, dealer, the dealership said, "Look, this is too easy for you to make." But Jason, where did they go? Where did they go? Well, look, real estate, income. according to Bobby. No, well, probably. Look, I'm going to tell you something real quick. Here's an experience I had. I'll keep it short. Okay. I mentioned to you guys on the show a couple of weeks ago that I was helping my boyfriend's daughter is special needs and she needs a mobility van. There's is broken down. So they went and went and looked at mobility vans, thought they had this great deal. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Let me look at this paperwork. Okay. So, okay. Decent deal on the car. We go into the dealership, set up an appointment so that I can talk to this chick about the warranty options. She previously worked for Art Van, comes in and is now a salesperson here who also handles finance. Not only could she not answer even one question that I had about the warranty, not the price, not the deductible, not what it covered. But when I asked for them to find out what it was, 
I had to place a deposit on the van to hold it for, this was a Saturday, for them to get an answer for me on Monday. On Monday, she did not call back with the answer. She called back and released the deposit so she could sell the car to somebody else because she didn't know how to answer the question. And that is what people are working with right now. She knew I worked in automotive. Exactly I gave her my question she didn't answer. How much is the deductible on this warranty and does it cover the mobility factors of the vehicle in addition to, because it was a brawn warranty for mobility. Couldn't answer the question, said she had to talk to the GM and the GM told her, call them and release their deposit. You know why? I called the GM at the other store, hunted his ass down and made him get on the phone call and he couldn't answer it either. But why and that's disgusting. The All they have to do is call the company that the warranty. But here's what I'm saying. Let's think about this for a minute. So in a division of people, you want to talk about predatory? In its category of special needs where you're paying twenty dollars to $50,000 for mobility equipment, they couldn't answer the question because that's how easy it is for them to just lock it on a contract and get it signed. And to people who most of the time either have a lower income or have to in order to be able to sustain the insurance that they have to have on their children, it's gross. And I know it's a VC, VSC, George, but in this case, it certainly felt like a warranty. George, I didn't even George, know what to call it. George is what it is. A service foremost FNI trainers in the country. Agreed. But this chick needed some training, and that's what she wrote it down as was a warranty. That's how limited that education was. It was disgusting. Right. I think George is missing the point here. It's not about warranty or VSC, it's about product knowledge. George might be the second best FNI trainer I know. And he's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. We can't call it a warranty because that's illegal and that's not what it is. But that's what this chick no, called it. Why, and that's why what they put on paper. call it a warranty, Bobby? Guys, because it's not a warranty. Day, we can't people, extend a warranty from the manufacturer. You call it a warranty because, and I see, from the manufacturer. I go in dealerships all the time. They're calling it a warranty. The Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, a federal law says that a warranty, to be called a warranty, must be must meet two criteria. It must be provided by the manufacturer, which some of them are. Mm -hmm. Some service contracts are provided by the manufacturer. But here's the second criteria. They have to be free to every purchaser. And of course, yeah, you, can of course. Off. you can be shown off in front of each other with your legal knowledge. But when the regular consumer gets into the F&I office, it's an extended warranty. Stop yeah. the BS. Right, I can because everybody calls it that. Know what a VSC is, and if you're going to pretend that they do, you got to be delusional. I call it. No, a but we should be teaching program. them this. We should be teaching them this. I we should be helping words, consumers words understand this. Toolbox, Bobby. Bobby, I'm going to get a word in here. I'm going <laughs> to let you. I'm going to go ahead and allow that. Words, words are your toolbox. The things you say to a customer. I don't call it a vehicle service contract. I don't call it extended warranty. Mm -hmm. I call it a parts and labor program because it does cover parts and labor. It doesn't just cover service. Mm -hmm. And guess what? When I'm down in Tampa or St. Petersburg, where we have a lot of senior citizens, I call it an extended service contract. No, I call it a parts and labor program. Because older people would rather enroll in a program than sign a contract. Mm -hmm. Would you so like to enroll in a parts and labor program? Yes. <laughs> Words I mean, I wasn't sure which I mean, St. Petersburg you were talking about. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be the woman on the show that says if you're in finance and you can't sell a service contract for what it's worth, you're weak. That's what I'll say. 
you are weak and I'm not sorry for saying it because it's true. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's weak and it's weak. That's exactly what it is. And it's not real finance. It's not real F and I it's just not. And it might be your fault or it might be your store's fault. Or it might be somebody else's fault because you don't know, but it's weak. Service contracts are not a hard product to sell because no, there's if you can't, if you can't them. sell them. It's a lack of training. That's what it is. Yeah. A there's a benefit to it or you don't believe in it and you're not offering it every time. Or you're like, this was a new car. They didn't need it. That's not true. It's less expensive in the beginning than it is in the end. And the manufacturer knows exactly how much time they should put a warranty on a vehicle for before things wear out. There's a reason for that. But but also, guys, don't forget the last two, two and a half years, the, the balance of power shifted towards the front end profit. Mm -hmm. Whereas pre-pandemic, right, you couldn't survive without a profitable finance department. Right. So now, you know, the front end was making money and, and, and really finance department was making the same as, as before. Now the tide is turning, inventory is coming back. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You know, all these uh, heroes at the podium are going to be zeros. Not right? all of them. But 98% <laughs> of them. You know, they will be begging people to take the car under invoice. It's already happening, right? You can get a Nissan just like that under invoice, like before the pandemic. Certain Mercedes models are going invoice already, right? So now the importance of the finance manager is coming back, right? Unfortunately, the last two and a half years, dealer principals spent exactly zero dollars training their finance managers. That's why I'm getting back in the training business. That's right. Well, they they spent zero dollars before that. I mean, timing is everything. They spent zero dollars before that. No, no, but before at least th 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 there was a rationale to do it because without a capable finance department, it was extremely difficult to be in business, right? Because you would lose money selling new cars. Now you're losing money selling new cars and trust me, you're losing money selling used cars because they're depreciating. And just because they weren't depreciating for the last 365 days a year, you know, now they are, right? So without a finance manager being able to present 100% of the products, 100% of the time to 100% of the customers, you're dead in the water. Well, you know, Max, now we're not talking about managers. We're talking about a lot of people have gone to the one-touch process where the salespeople are selling finance. Well, that's what I just experienced, and it was a great time. I mean, that's I a actually did the same thing. Right? Oh, it could be it could be a great experience, no profit, but it's a great experience. Right, exactly. That's the worst experience if you're the owner of a dealership. It's the best experience if you're the buyer. Well, I, I yeah. think the experience can be a good one for both. If the training and a commitment to coaching is 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 always happening but it's it's rare to find well, the, well the the propaganda that goes with it is you're going to make less money but you don't have to pay the managers that's i can that's tell you what's going to happen like well, there's people out there having lawsuits but i'm going to tell you what's going to happen to this place that did that to us they're going to be the next example i have on a stage if they don't fix it within the next three right. weeks listen All i right. know of a luxury order group in the state of new jersey that does not have an fni department Mm -hmm. they've been in business i think over 40 years yeah. they have probably 20 over 20 rooftops all high lines 
I cannot even imagine the amount of money they leave on the table. Oh, they're leaving right. a tremendous amount of money right. on the table. Because but when the salesperson sees somebody with a 680 credit score, to them, it's 480. Because it's not an automatic approval from Mercedes-Benz Financial. And picking I, up I, the phone is above, uh, above the pay grade. What are they going to tell the analyst? Right? So all these 680 are getting thrown out of the showroom. And they're getting Infinities instead of a Mercedes. They're getting something else where there isn't a capable finance department. Or they're going to another Mercedes dealership. All it takes is a phone call and say, hey, 680, guys, 680 is not that bad. No. Okay. No, but but I think we're going to see more and more of that upfront finance conversation now happen. Um, I think there's a lot of really small, smart dealerships out there that had trained their staff to have those conversations much, much early on and not waiting for the end. Technology, I mean, everything is leaning towards having the finance conversation way, way, way earlier. I mean, I actually helped mm -hmm. a handful of dealer groups actually consolidate their F&I departments into a singular virtual F&I department where instead of having, you know, nine rooftops with, you know, uh, $10 million in, in uh, payroll expenses against those, you know, against all those stores, you know, they were able to bring it down to, you know, two and a half million dollars in payroll mm -hmm. expenses and still maintain the same results that they were maintaining before. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting time Jason, for the finance department. No, 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 Jay. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> wow. Where do you want to go? Oh, you Virtual. Want to $10 million to two and a half with the same results. Tell me how. Oh, menu selling. So instead of having, instead of having, you know, 25 F&I managers, they went down to six. But what about the number of turns? People well, maxed that's, out. That's the thing. We sold, we sold less cars over the last few years, so they've been able to handle the same amount of turns, but doing it virtually. But we didn't not sell four times less cars. You went down from 25 to six. Yeah, they sold. They sold. Well, I mean, think, think of the sales that they sold. The thing of the sales that they sold over the last over the last few years, they did it with a fraction of the staff. They did it with twenty yeah, percent of the original of staff. The the car sales went down, but they didn't go down by eighty percent. No, that's what I'm saying. Like they were able to achieve the same results per vehicle, all right, with twenty percent less staff. But twenty percent vehicle shortage. But hold on, you said they went from twenty five finance managers to six. Yes, that's not twenty percent less staff. That's 80% less. 20%. I apologize. 20% of their original staff. Max I mean, is like, oh, Max hates this discussion. So he's going to overanalyze all this math. It's going to bullshit, right? Because this makes zero sense in the real world. Why? Why doesn't that, why, why is, why does the turnover have to happen inside the dealership? Explain that to me, Max. Jason, if there are 25, 25 finance managers, Sure. Before the pandemic, and you're going to reduce the staff by 20% because no, the went sales down to 20% the original size. Right, so because the sales went down by 20%. Yep. We should have 20 finance managers, not six. If there you have 20% of the original size doing the workload of 25 finance managers, they're going to be burned out. They will never see their families and they with will 20, with 25 finance managers prior to it. They had a bunch of people sitting around twiddling their fingers until 
until a turnover. That is not true. That is not true because finance managers get paid commission. <laughs> They're not on a so you don't you don't you don't finance managers that are busy a full eight hour shift all the time. No, no, but I'm saying that the finance managers don't cost anything to the dealer principal because they work on commission. If I see a finance manager that gets salary, I want to vomit, right? Because finance managers are not supposed to get salary. It's commission-based business, right? All right. So they can look at the ceiling for eight hours for all I care if I'm the owner, right? They better take 60 to 80 turns each month, right, to make a living. So if I you believe in paying my FI six finance manager did the job of 25 finance managers, two things are happening. I right? definitely Either do not want 100% group is completely, completely clueless, right, and deserves to be bankrupt. Or you have no idea. <laughs> deserves what to be bankrupt. Absolutely. No idea. Does anybody wonder how Matt right. feels about this? How, how many? How many? No how many F and I managers? How many F and I managers out there are 100% commission? Because I don't know that many, so I'm legitimately. Hundred percent of finance managers that I work with, a hundred percent commission. If I meet a dealer principal that pays a salary to, to a finance manager, that that's criminal. For what salary? That's criminal. For there, there's open, expectations open the dealership, of an experience that I expect the them to maintain. Come on, Jason, you gotta be kidding me. Wow. This uh, I, would, I would, either, this I would never employ. A F&I manager at 100% commission. There's no way that they're going to be in line if with you want to my get a experience goals and objectives are. You get 100% commission. Uh, you can keep, you can keep those finance managers. You keep and those folks, things. this is what a real panel looks like when we disagree Jason, on things. Jason, That's why we do so well. Double parked. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, this helicopter's double parked. <laughs> yes. I got to go. Oh, anyway, <laughs> F&I, $2,400 a unit. We're talking about GAP. We're talking about service contracts, uh, parts and labor agreements. We're talking about uh, rate profit. Now, rate profit has been one of the biggest problems we've had, but we're limited to two and three points for most of the banks today. You know, yeah. So, so who lost audio? Bobby. Bobby, have you lost audio? Poor Bobby. Bobby. She's she's Bobby, not say something. She's not <laughs> hearing us. Oh, I can hear you guys now. Okay, very good. I lost uh, audio. And no problem. Or Jim shut my audio off, which is better no, than No, I, I do shut your audio off from time to time, but not this time. So anyway, we, we, we sell the, what other products are we selling? Uh, window, window edge. How, how's window edge doing Max? Listen, window edge is doing great. If it's a preloaded product at really no charge to the customer or at a very minimum charge to the customer, maybe no more than $199. Once you get into, you know, selling $5,000 window edge benefit, for three or two thousand dollars, you guarantee the chargeback and a lawsuit. Well, see that that's that was the thing that first got the regulators to come down on the car dealers. It was um, Gunderson Chevrolet, Almonte, California, in nine, uh, 2001. 
is when the, the federal regulators and the De Department of Motor Vehicles and Channel 5 News Los Angeles descended on this AutoNation dealership and they were selling, not only selling window edge for $2,000 markup, they were selling it to non-English speaking Mexicans on an English contract. <laughs> and here comes Channel 5, Joel Grover, the reporter from Channel 5 uh, Los Angeles, because marching into the dealership were like 20 or 30 pissed off Mexicans in the middle of a business day. I mean, could you imagine? I got a whole bunch of non-English speaking, pissed off Mexicans shaking fists at the dealership in the middle of a business day. And, and Channel Channel 5 News orchestrated all this. So the next thing you know, here comes 20, 20 DMZ agents and they confiscated 25 filing cabinets. And the F&I manager's name was Don Poteet. He decides to run. He's going to run. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Don Poteet, uh, they, they, they put um, five managers went to jail over that. Um, and it was off to the races. That's when the regulators started uh, really going after the car dealers. Jason? Well, I think it's good. I like hearing stories like that. I don't know. What other new products have I seen being sold? Oh, Max will love this one. Um, uh, battery protection. <laughs> I, I've seen it too. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you, Max, would love this one. But hey, if I'm going to buy a pre-owned electric vehicle, all right, uh, there are now new companies out there that um, they will actually send out a series of testers, test the battery. Oh, no, no, Jason, I've seen, no, no, Jason, I've seen it on the internal combustion engine cars. Oh, you've seen it on... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now that's a good one <laughs> right that's why i was laughing you know it makes perfect sense on the electric car <laughs> so actually to protect the battery inside okay I like that. that's right that reminds me of what was what was the one that was really good the uh oh the battery replacements for the car remotes remember that they don't no. do that anymore do they no you know you guys never did that one? Oh my gosh it would it would you know i don't know where my car keys are but it replaced it protected you losing your keys so you could get a new key fob and battery replacement. I have seen key fob replacement. Yes. Now, key fob replacement, uh, key fobs are costing upwards of $800. That's right. I mean, key fob replacement is probably a legitimate product, I would think. I never sold it when I was in finance. We were limited in the number of products we had to sell, but um, key fob replacement. Pro probably is a, a legitimate um, product. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I sell a lot of those key replacement policies, and uh, they make perfect sense, especially when they have additional benefits. For example, if you lose your house keys, they get covered too. Well, they have to throw in enough to make it seem like they got some value. That's I bought right. key fob replacement for $299 on the last car that I had, and I lost a $700 key fob. And they yep. covered not only the key fob, but the towing and the fee for it. And I didn't have to claim anything on my insurance. And I've never been happier that I bought that product. And I buy you're it every car. You're a then. testimonial for, yeah. for the good value yeah. of the key fob replacement. And the programming, too. 
and right, they cover the programming, not just and, the and that program and programming it. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, Bobby just came back to tell us that. Yeah, and then <laughs> and and she's gone. Yeah, Bobby's got some technical problems today. So, anyway, anyway, um, what other products are we talking about in the F and I office? Um, oh, one that I've seen recently I thought was kind of interesting is a uh, high horsepower uh warranties there are you know there are cars out there that you know insurance companies just won't touch you know hellcat's a good example of that supercharged mustangs stuff like that so i've now seen these like used Hell, car uh, the hellcat is 700 horsepower yeah so these these high horsepower warranties i was like i didn't know there was i mean the engine displacement well was always a thing right based on it but now these they're, they're performance based what, what, what adjustments are service contract uh, providers going to have to make for electric vehicles when, that have a, a $25,000 battery replacement? What, now, how much is that service contract going to cost? Or is that? I've, I've seen service contracts already for those batteries. What, what, is, what is that going to cost? Max? So in reality, right, when it comes to electric cars, the only car that's selling is Tesla, mm -hmm. right? Nothing else is selling. So, so, so the problem with Tesla is that if you buy a service contract, Tesla is not going to accept it. Mm. I, I hope people know that. Say, say say that again and what documentation what 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 reference do you have on that uh i have real <laughs> real life reference that tesla does not accept extended service contracts on on any cars right and that's the end of the story right so so Listen, maybe in the future when other manufacturers will be selling electric cars, it'll be easier, you know, if you buy an electric, I don't know, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, you know, but Tesla is not interested in, in, in this business at all, right? So it has to most likely be a reimbursement policy, if, if anything. Chris Scott on the sidebar says that most EVs have an eight-year warranty, and most purchasers do not own the car that long because a lot of people are bailing out of EVs uh, after a first year of ownership. He is absolutely correct, right? And um, a lot of owners will keep bailing out of EVs while, once they realize how quickly they depreciate. Yeah, so, I, mean, I don't know. My, what I, I paid for my Rivian. I mean, I, 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 I make, make $40,000 on my Rivian me, right now if I want Let to. me elaborate on this point. If you work as a used car manager in a car dealership and you need to take an electrical vehicle on trade, okay, mm -hmm. how much money do you put on it? Because you don't know how much battery is left in it. There is no swapping batteries. I mean, that's the it's, like the, it's like the cell phone. So for example, the oldest car that we have in the United States, an electric car, is Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I've sold a ton of those Nissan. used 
very successful. Right. So I think about this. <laughs> you take on trade an eight-year-old Nissan Leaf, right? As a used car manager, you realize there's less than twenty percent of that battery life oh, left on it. That's not how true at all. You, Max. How close to zero? Do you put I mean, the appraisal value, right? I mean, I'm the one who always gets us off track. Allegedly. I don't know where that fact um, came from. For one minute. Max, Max, I don't know where, where you got, got that information. I don't, I don't know where that came from. This uh, is very easy. Jim, you can call Brad Sutherland. He has a bunch of Nissan dealerships, and he'll confirm all of that. Well, uh, Brett's, Brett's a good friend of mine. I'll do right. that. Um, but okay, now... I just, there's an article, there's a, an interview right now on CBT News with Jim Fitzgerald, where his guest, a, a alleged expert, has said that a lot of manufacturers are considering getting out of selling electric vehicles. Now, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch that show. I haven't watched it yet, but some of the manufacturers are getting out of the ev market according to this show or right. that's exactly right because there's no money in it and please look at the latest comment from chris scott thank you well battery what do you, what do you mean thank you it actually it actually proves that you're so wrong mission repair and uh engine repair it and proves uh, all right. it proves me right because there's no battery you, you, you said the battery was going to be at 20 percent after eight years he's saying that it will retain 80 percent of its chargeability over a million miles uh -oh. that's a fantasy Max, I don't know where you're getting your stats from. I gotta, I gotta check this out. Right. I think that I'm the one keeping us on topic. This seems like a rare issue here. I don't know where all my ladies are today, but I don't know how this job got put on me. But gentlemen, we're not talking about EVs today. I had a customer one time that couldn't hear nor speak. We had to communicate by a written language, and he he looked at me one time and he went, "Bullshit." <laughs> I don't know, Max. Okay, guys, this is really simple. I just googled Nissan Leaf battery life. Nissan Leaf owners should expect it to last around ten years. So when Wait, I say an eight-year-old Nissan Leaf has twenty percent battery left in it, I am one million percent correct. Hold on, okay. real quick. I'm going to write a quick article and I'm going to post it and use SEO so that the next search you do it comes up first. And it's going to say that what Chris Scott said is true. <laughs> <laughs> I just messing with Max. Max is Max is actually very passionate about this. So most of the things that he is he is saying are him defending something that he believes in, and that's important for dealers to know. And it's the same for everybody else. But EV is not what we're talking about today, guys. We're talking about finance today. Yes. So a good way. conversation would be these battery warranties that are being sold that relates to finance and it relates to EVs, which are not going to stop being sold just because we don't always like them. Like I, I have, I have a couple of used car dealer friends right now that are selling used Teslas very successfully with, with a uh, battery warranty um, being sold in the F&I department. And it, they've found themselves a nice little niche. It's very profitable for them. It's, it's a very easy to sell the warranty uh to those users yeah, yeah of because course. the vehicle the is just a, to the you know, a driving oh, yeah. iPad. until the customer goes to the dealership and tries to use the warranty 
Well, I don't know about that. All of a sudden, this warranty is better than the one that. All of a sudden, no, we're saying, guys, buy a warranty that uses a credit card. All I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this: buy this warranty and go to a Tesla dealership and try to use it. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is, if you're a dealer who sells an EV, I suggest that you look at options for what you can sell in your finance office that will protect your consumer. And I suggest that you work with somebody who debates it so that you know that what you're getting is true. Nobody's going to sell you something that's going to be better than Max because he doesn't believe in it at all. So if he tells you this is the company, you can probably trust that it's true. <laughs> right? Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Right? And if not, you call Jason. They'll have a debate together, which I think this is cute. I wish April and Jennifer were on today because it's usually all of us. But, you know, I love that we have these kind of conversations because our, our viewers know that we're not behind the scenes going, oh, let's all agree and give them the real deal. We're real people in real positions like you guys that are giving you real information. And we want to hear your opinion on it too. Well, you know, you got Jason, the newest member of the dog pound uh, posse, who is a, a Canadian granola eater. <laughs> I am, I like granola and I really like Canada. So I, was, I was born in Boise, Idaho. Like I'm a, I'm a potato farmer. Oh, that, that's pretty but... leftist in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Look, what I would take Jason I think the dealer out there should give Max an easy to drive as a demo for like three months because if you can sway him, there will not be a stronger proponent for your product than, than he will be. So if you're smart, you hook him up with a demo for a couple months and uh, you let him check it out. There you go. Well, Boise, Idaho, that's sort of like close to Portland, Oregon. Um, I bet. It was on the news today. Portland, Oregon has just passed a law that homeless people can camp in your front yard. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to live in Portland right now. Not getting into those conversations. <laughs> you mean you mean it doesn't make sense? <laughs> no, I mean that Portland actually has one of the strongest funding sources for homelessness, and including and not limited to people across the country. They're very woke. They need a better policy on how to manage that. Listen. The things in life that we find to be the most inconvenient are the things that need our help the most. That doesn't make me woke. That makes me a human and a good one at that. Uh, the best cure for homelessness is get a home. <laughs> Not that easy, unfortunately. Not that easy, unfortunately. Pineapple. Moving on. Pineapple. Okay. That's a double oh, vote. You guys are crossed out. Moving we, we on. Started, we, started out, we started out talking about F and I, and we've gone all over the place. We. You know, well, I think the one thing we all agree on is that FNI training, coaching, and development is an absolute must. Yeah. Um, it, it, you should have never stopped doing it. If you did stop doing it because you were trying to save expenses and you never got back into it, you need 100% get back into it. Um, you know, look, I, I, our staff's dealing with, you know, economic questions that, you know, customers never had in the last, you know, couple decades. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we haven't had to deal with interest rates over six, seven, eight percent, nine percent in some cases, lease rates and residuals that are just changing on a weekly basis. You know, training needs to happen to yeah. maintain a good customer experience. That's the bottom line. I think we can all agree, right, Max? Yeah. Yeah. F and I training is making a comeback, that's for sure. F and I trains and Jim Ziegler's getting back in the F. If you are considering Sending one of your managers to an FNI school. I've got the best school in the world. Email me, catch up with me on social media, message me, uh, smoke signals, get in touch with me, and uh, let me know that you have an interest in sending somebody. I'm doing some 
some research right now to see how big my market is. I am the best F&I trainer in the known universe in case they sell F&I on other planets. So anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have a 75-page textbook. Everybody will receive one. Uh, I just rewrote that textbook last year. Um, you can find it on my on my website. Um, F&I, I am a believer in F&I. I mean, I've been teaching mm -hmm. F&I for many, many years. And our, our F&I managers are sorely undertrained. Bobby, would you agree with that? For the love of God, yes, I would. And I'll tell you what, I, I am a big believer in F&I. It's a position, it's my favorite position to date that I ever worked in. I firmly believe that it's important to the dealership. And I firmly believe that outside of what happens in like a BDC, it is one of the most undertrained, underutilized positions in the dealership. And mostly because it's misunderstood. So I, and I will leave you this. I know we're running out of time. So I'm giving my two minute thing. I am looking for a 2019 or newer under 40,000 mile brawn ability mobility vehicle. And if you can find me one at under 40 grand or similar, and you can explain the warranty to me, it's a cash deal. And I will stand on every stage and say how amazing you are across this country because every other place that has hosed us on this is about to become an example of my anger and animosity. So go ahead and spread the word and do the right thing and let me help you help yourselves. Jason, what's, what's your closing statement today before I, I let, let Max loose? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, look, I, th I think we said it well. The closing statement is that, you know, you, you, your team needs to be trained. You know, the, you know, the, the customers are asking questions that, you know, the F&I managers have never had to answer in a couple of decades and they're not trained on how on how to do it and handle it. And it's it's that make or break moment in a customer's buying experience mm -hmm. and we just look we, we keep saying that we're in a people business but i don't see a whole lot of of, of investment in the people and i'm really getting overly frustrated with that so let's get back to the now okay max uh close the show out listen i i'm excited because finally f and i is back on the on on the stage <laughs> Right. We need to sell FNI products. We need to do reinsurance. We need to deal on warranty companies and dealers that, you know, are going to ignore it are going to be gone. Right. Because there's no money in selling cars. Right. The pre-pandemic way of doing business is coming back. That's, that's all we have to say. Everybody wave, wave goodbye to the audience. Thanks for tuning in to the Jim Ziegler Podcast with your host, the Alpha Dog, Jim Ziegler. Don't want to miss out on new content? Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.